Well, good morning, Rio Town. Uh, my name is Justin. I am the pastor of the Rio Town venue. And you might be thinking to yourself, um, okay, then why aren't you here? You're here digitally, but not in person. That's a very good question. Here's the deal. I was supposed to preach this morning, but later in the week, I was informed that someone I, I met with earlier in the week, uh, after we had met, tested positive with COVID. Uh, so I did have an exposure. It was very quick. I am triple vaxxed. Um, but what I'm doing is I'm actually getting tested uh, later just to see if I have it. And that means if you are listening to me right now, I have tested positive. And because I love you and I don't want to risk playing COVID tag, uh, I ran into the Holt venue and someone about 40 feet away uh, hit record on a camera and I'm coming to you uh, this way. So uh, good morning. Thank you for coming to church. I'll just shift gears and I will get on with the sermon. What I want to do this morning is I want to ask you a question, uh, a question you probably hear all the time, but if we let it do its work, uh, I think it can be probing. And uh, it might seem casual. It might seem like I'm just on the surface of things, um, but well, here it is nonetheless. Here, here's the question. How are you? How are you really? Like, how are you doing? How are you? Um, as you think about trying to answer that, uh, you don't have to worry about being a, a polite Midwesterner or saying uh, the right thing. So don't feel any, any pressure here. Just, just take a breath, get calm, and, and let's do something we seldom do. Uh, let, let's be honest in church. How are you? Now, to be clear, as I'm asking you, I'm not talking about your circumstances, about the state of your external world. Rather, I'm talking about the state of your soul. What is that like? today. Just consider your sense of satisfaction, how you feel about your relationships, your, your morale, your outlook on life, just the stuff that has been occupying your mental real estate lately. How are you doing? Or for you visual folks, um, I'm going to give you two images to consider uh, that maybe, you know, they say a picture is worth a thousand of words. Um, it, maybe your soul comes in and I'm asking you, are, are you one or the other. Maybe you come in and your soul is a lot like Lake Moraine in Banff National Park in the Canadian Rockies. You come in this morning, you came in a church skipping, and you're like, my soul is pristine. It's, it's picturesque in there. Everything's the way it should be. I'm calm and ordered. The skies are blue. The trees are green. The water is cool and clear and, and deep. You feel consoled. You feel encouraged and poised. You, you feel your bucket is full. You feel rested. You have peace. You could come in and you could say, it is well with my soul. That is one place you could be this morning. Uh, here's the other place that perhaps is the dead opposite. Maybe you could come in and you feel empty and chaotic. Uh, well, we'll show you a picture here of the barren wasteland uh, from the, the film, The Book of Eli. Uh, that's basically where Denzel Washington spends the better part of two homicidal hours dredging through <laughs> this dry, demolished, apocalyptic landscape. Some of us are like, that's where I'm at. You, you think about your social world uh, your finances, your relationship to food or, or drink or, or media. Your thoughts are heavy. You're weary. All you see on the horizon is bleakness, fracture, and decay. So how are you? How are you doing? Um, I don't know about you, uh, but it seems like everyone that I talk to, um, and, and even the, the person in the mirror, uh, when we're honest, is in one of those two places, uh, not in the other place. And I think you can guess what locale we're talking about these days. Uh, 
Well, for us, what we're going to do is we're going to put in here, I, I believe by my count, the, either the 10th or the 11th installment of a series we're going through called the Apostles' Creed. Now, the Apostles' Creed is this historic statement that charts out what is essential Christianity, what makes Christians uh, Christian in, in terms of what they believe, their doctrine. And so I want to do something that we are going to do only for this series. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. I'm going to stand and uh, let's in unison recite the Apostles' Creed together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. You can take a seat. This morning, what we're going to do is we're going to focus in on just six words. The line that says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing. As we talk about the Holy Spirit, we have to acknowledge there's a lot of misconceptions rolling around. Like, if, if we found ourselves um, with Steve Harvey playing Family Feud, you know, and the survey had to say something, you know, the, he, he went out and had his people poll 100 people and we had to fill in the blank, like, the Holy Spirit is, uh, the responses would be wonky. They'd be all over the place. I think they'd kind of land in, in three uh, different camps. I, I think some people would say something to the effect of the Holy Spirit is a mystical force. It's just this wild thing. And it kind of comes and goes like this unpredictable ghost. It's, it's this wild spirituality. Others uh, might say it's an impersonal expression of God. It's like this kind of detached offshoot, kind of like the scent of God's cologne, right? It's this impersonal thing. Then there's others, and I think this is more of an increasingly popular response, would, would kind of come from that secular perspective that would say, well, the Holy Spirit is non-existent. It's like uh, the imagination of the ancients who never had a psychology class. <laughs> so that's what the survey might say. But how about you? I want to ask you that question. What would you say the Holy Spirit is? What, what, what names or descriptors or job descriptions would you give if you were to talk about the Holy Spirit? What are we talking about when we talk about the Holy Spirit. Well, today I want to give you my conclusion right now, and then I want to unpack that as we go. So in a formal theological sense, uh, when I'm talking about the Holy Spirit, I, I am talking about someone who is fully God, the third person of the Trinity. And I will unpack the Trinity in a bit. Hold on to that. Um, it's, this is a person who, who is divine, who has a mind that thinks, um, emotions that feel, and a will that has purposes. Um, but what I want to do is I want to apply that, that doctrine, that truth to our broken hearts today. And so when I say I believe in the Holy Spirit for our purposes, what I mean is that the Holy Spirit is the powerful personal presence of God. The powerful personal presence of God who orders our chaos. That is the Holy Spirit. I don't believe in a mystical force. I don't believe in an impersonal essence and I don't have an imaginary friend up in the sky. And, and as a matter of fact, I don't believe in an it. I believe in a him. I believe in someone who is divine, who is God, who is powerful, who is active in our dark world. 
And, and moreover, someone who is personal, someone who's aware and, and present, uh, someone who the New Testament says grieves over our sin. He has attributes of a person. And so I want to look at a few passages and I want to wonder carefully as we go through them about what he's like, what he's up to in the world and what his purposes are. So I think the best place to start my pack. <laughs> We're talking about chaos in the world. I guess I'll just continue. <laughs> um, what was I just saying? Uh, I believe in someone divine. And the best place to start is back in the beginning. Uh, you see, because typically what we do is when we hear about the Holy Spirit, we associate him only with the New Testament, but that's not the only place where he goes. So I want to go back to the first two verses of the Bible, and we will see him there in Scripture. I'll start in Genesis 1, chapter 1. It says, in the beginning, God. Uh, the fourth word in the Bible is the word God. There's God, and God created the heavens and the earth. And so when it says, uh, in the beginning, God, the word it uses is Elohim. The singular for God is El. And the word Elohim is, is the plural version of this word. And just a fair warning, I'm going to throw a few original words at you because they're so much deeper than straightforward English and they can really tell us who we're dealing with here. But anyways, from the jump, Scripture presents God in a plural sort of way. We could dial in um, at the end of Genesis 1, uh, verse 26 and 27, where it talks about the creation of humans, where the singular God says about the creation of humans, let us make them in our image, in our likeness. This is speaking in a plural way, the kind of nosotros way of speaking. And so as we meet God, uh, we, are, we are also introduced to the setting that he is doing some work in. Verse uh, 2. It says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Some translations will say void. Formless and empty, or void. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the surface of the waters. Now the author brings us to this primeval state where everything was formless and void, formless and empty. The, the Hebrew there is tohu bohu or tohu wabohu, which basically means chaos. That everything was in disorder, that there was utter confusion. It was empty, it was void, it was desolate. And by the way, that might describe some of our lives uh, before we encountered God, or maybe even right now, tohu wabohu, formless and void, chaos. And in that chaos, for those of us who are familiar with God's work, we know uh, that he enters, that he forms what is unformed. He fills what is empty, and he acts mightily to make something good out of the chaos. Hold on to that thought for a moment. We're going to look at verse 2 again. Okay. Second pass, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths and then the spirit of God. So there's the spirit, there's the word. The spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters, Genesis 1 verse 2. Here's the scene. The spirit is hovering over the chaos of the uncreated world. He's ready to bring light, life, order, beauty, and etc. And the word for spirit here is the word ruach. And Ruach speaks to the personal presence and the power of God. And, and Ruach is also, also used when the scripture talks about wind, like a mighty wind. That's, that's Ruach. And so it's, it's talking about presence. 
And this is kind of like the, the, the personal hotspot of God's Wi-Fi, right? Uh, sometimes we see this associated with the temple and the temple worship. Like that's the place we know God is at on the earth. The presence of God is there when we're talking about the spirit of God. But it's not just presence. It's also power. It, like the wind. Or, or, or like when, when God empowers someone, God shows up. His power shows up. So when Samson has freakish strength, or Joseph can interpret dreams. The, the, the power and the presence of God is present. So when we are talking about the spirit of God, necessarily we are talking about the power and presence of his Holy Spirit coming to work and entering into chaos. The spirit played a prominent role uh, throughout the Old Testament. There's a lot of passages we could look at where he, he produces prophecy. Or, or scripture, when God wants to give a message to people, call them on their sin or confront them. We could go into a lot more, but for the sake of time, let's just jump to the New Testament. See, in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is all over. Um, it, we see him uh, particularly um, in this one scene where, where Jesus is going to get baptized at the Jordan River. Um, Jesus goes there and John the Baptist shows up and we actually see all three members of the Trinity in this scene. This is Matthew 3. It says, when Jesus, who is the second person of the Trinity, uh, was baptized, he went up immediately from the water and the heavens opened up for him. And he saw the Spirit of God, that's the third person of the Trinity, descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven, whose voice was that, said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So in this scene, we see the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. This is the snapshot of the Trinity. What is the Trinity? Well, it's many things we could say about the Trinity. Uh, first of all, it, it's really, uh, we have to grapple with the fact that this is a puzzling mystery. It tells us about uh, who God is, but it also tells us that God is beyond our comprehension. So we have a graphic for you visual learners to give you a picture of the Trinity, of who he is, who he is not, how to think about him, how not to think about him. And from the jump, I would just say that, uh, as, as theologians say, that the Trinity is the tri-unity of God. Uh, let's, let's just take a quick Trinity detour because you have to understand the Trinity to have a good grasp on the Spirit. So this is what we mean, that God is one in essence. We believe in one God, but he has three distinct persons. So to, to put another way, he has eternally existed. One did not create the other. They're not separate, but yes, they're, they're distinct. Uh, they're they're co-equals, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're all worthy of the same amount of worship and obedience and respect. They're all fully God. And though they act in unity, they're not the same person. And right now, if you're listening or you're, you're looking at the graphic and your head hurts, that simply means that you're paying attention, okay? So let me be clear about what we don't believe. I don't believe that the Holy Spirit, uh, the Father and the Son are three forms of the same thing, but kind of in different states. Or we're somehow implying that each of them is one third God. Uh, that would be a heresy called modalism. Okay, he, God doesn't change modes. We also don't believe um, in three separate gods. It's not an issue of addition, like one plus one plus one equals three. That's a heresy called tritheism. What we believe is actually more like multiplication. Um, and if you were there in third, uh, I think it's probably third grade, um, <laughs> one times one times one equals one. That's how we think. Uh, so while the Holy Spirit is not Jesus, the Son, he's not God, the Father, he is still God. And he operates as a distinct person in distinct ways. And if you haven't heard anything else in this section here, um, the, the point about the Trinity is simply this. 
that the three persons of the Trinity constitute the one God that there is. The one God of scripture. To deny that is to deny God. It's to reject Christianity. That is what we believe. That's the God that we worship and sing to. And when this uh, sermon gets done, we're, we're gonna sing the classic song, holy, holy, holy. The, the lyric says, holy, 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 merciful and mighty. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Trinity, excuse me. That's the detour. We can end it, we can unpark it, and we'll keep going to look at the mission of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. We're told that it's the Spirit that leads Jesus out into the wilderness and, and prepares him for his ministry. Uh, Jesus was led by this divine person with a mind, with feelings, and a will. He gets prepared. And then when he comes back, he preaches in his home synagogue. And this is what Jesus says in Luke 4. He says, the Spirit, the Spirit, now this will be Greek, the pneuma, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set the free, set free the oppressed. So Jesus and others in the Bible are described as being full of spirit, okay? Not just uh, the, the incarnate God, Jesus, but other people get described this way as well. And what we see throughout Jesus' ministry is that uh, his work was reordering the chaos of sin. He was empowered by the Spirit as he preached, as he healed, as he did all of the work that God had for him. Later in the New Testament, John says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. All of the chaos, all the lies, all the deceit of sin, Jesus came to oppose that. God came to oppose that. And one of the ways that he does that actually is through the work of the church, and the church is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, when you hear church, don't think building, don't think stained glass, right? <laughs> think the assembly of people. And we're portable. We can be in different places, right? But these are people that have first been saved by the Spirit, regenerated by the Spirit. The Spirit comes in and makes dead people alive spiritually. And, and so this is what Jesus says uh, to the disciples in Acts 1. He says, you will receive power when? Okay, <laughs> what is the condition? What's got to happen? He says, when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. So their task is to go tell people about Jesus, to set up communities that follow Jesus, that are empowered by Jesus so that people can encounter the living God. And they needed the Holy Spirit for that. The Holy Spirit was vital into the launching of the church. And you go one chapter later in the book of Acts, you see the day of Pentecost. And this is the day where it all kind of happens. 120 are, are, are in this one setting. They gather. And then it describes a violent rushing wind, uh, remember the vocabulary word from earlier, the Ruach. That sounds like the Ruach, right? This wind comes and it comes powerfully. And the scripture says that all the people, men and women alike, they get the spirit. They get the power and presence of God. And what this means is that God comes into them. He regenerates them and he begins to reorder things to take the chaos of their personal lives, their, their communal lives, and in some ways chaos in the known world. And it begins to get reordered. All of these people get spiritual gifts. If you are a Christian, you have spiritual gifts. There are unique ways and abilities that God has wired you with so that you can be useful to him, to, so that you can join him on his mission. This is what God does in the chaos. In the next chapters of Acts, and we see other glimpses of this in uh, not, not, not just uh, Paul's letters, but throughout church history, that even though these people are flawed and they still have a lot of work to do, that God can cultivate flourishing, thriving communities in the midst of chaos. And if you think about the Roman Empire, 
where, where these communities started to prop up. Um, <laughs> it was a dog-eat-dog world. It was a harsh, violent landscape. There was exploitation, hunger, perversity, so much false worship. And in that landscape, new communities began to emerge. Places where sinful people would come together and then they would sell their possessions and give them to people who were in need. They, they would take care of the powerless, the orphan, the widow. They, they would adopt. They would practice hospitality. They, they would invest in each other's lives. Men and women, uh, rich and poor, people of different ethnicities would come together with equal footing as God was beginning to reorder the chaos. So let's stop right here and ask uh, the initial prompt that we had uh, about Steve Harvey's family feud. The Holy Spirit is. How could we fill in that survey? Some, no, some relevant names and roles and etc. Well, uh, I'm going to give you an admittedly reduced and limited list, but I want to just give you seven responses. Some of them might be familiar, some of them might not be, but let's just get to it. Who is the Holy Spirit? First of all, the Holy Spirit is God. Equally, fully, and completely, he's deserving of our honor and praise. We can pray to him. He is God. Secondly, uh, we don't often catch this, but the Holy Spirit is the one who raised Jesus from the dead. The Holy Spirit was there, vital in, in creation, but he's there in, in resurrection. I mean, that's what Romans 8 says, that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is actually in us, that he, he is someone who raised Jesus from the dead. He was vital to his ministry, pointing people, drawing people to Jesus. Number three, the Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture. If you want to hear from the Spirit, one clear way, and this is a way that maybe we'll, we'll know that you're not just talking to yourself, is to turn to Scripture, is to turn to, to this book, because it says that, that he carried, that he inspired, that he empowered the human authors with, with, with their circumstances and their situation to communicate his message, message to his people. He's the author of Scripture. Number four, he is the convictor of sin. The Spirit walks before us, he awakens our conscience. He, he cuts through our, our BS. I mean, he has a bit of a confrontational side to, to call out the deceitfulness of sin. I remember um, when, when I became a Christian in high school, there were some things that I was up to, some patterns of thinking and behaviors that I began to feel convicted. I began to see them for what they were. Many of us, we have this, this time where God, he does some work on us. Because he convicts us of sin. He, he calls out the chaos and we can see it for what it is when we see with his lens. Number five, he is the deposit that dwells in believers. So think of banking. You put something of value in a bank. He is the deposit that dwells. And so when a person converts, that doesn't just mean that the Holy Spirit like jump starts the car and starts the battery and then drives away, okay? What he does, he makes us alive and then he stays with us. And, and by the way, if, if you have not converted, I, I don't want to just fly by this one. Uh, maybe you need to take some time and to process this one out, but convert. Believe in God. God will come and give you eternal life and then dwell with you. And, and this is profound because you think in ancient days, God would have his personal presence, like his Wi-Fi hotspot, in these sacred temples. But if we believe Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, now we are the temple. That, that, that God would, would set up his residence, his personal presence inside his own people. And so this deposit that's in us operates, in a sense, like a proof of purchase. So that when we sin, <laughs> when we screw up, when we stumble, our salvation is still ensured. Sixth, 
He is the spirit of truth. He is a guide. He's a teacher. He's our moral compass. He draws us to what is good and right and true. We don't want to follow our hearts. We don't want to listen to our hearts at the end of the day because they are wicked. But he comes inside of us. He lives and dwells inside of us. And he's better than our conscience. Sometimes our consciences are overactive and we worry about things that we shouldn't. Sometimes they're, they're underactive and we're asleep at the wheel. But when he comes in, we have a guide. We have a teacher who is the spirit of truth. Seventh, last point. He is our counselor. He's our helper. Um, many of us, um, right now we, we feel sad. We feel frustrated. We have that apocalyptic landscape where we just see fracture and decay all over the place. But in our interior world, it doesn't have to be tohu bohu. It doesn't have to be chaos all of the time. And, and you know, this is a point where I don't need to like cite any stats on um, mental health or cite a current event to be like, wow, we live in a sad world. Um, so this is, I, th- I think, a point where, where the doctrine of the Holy Spirit can help us, not just with head knowledge, but with transformation um, in our innermost being. In John 14, uh, Jesus is telling his disciples not to let their hearts be troubled. Uh, and he, I mean, he's actually very clear that we will have troubling circumstances. But that, that, that doesn't have to affect our hearts and, and, and just destroy all of our hope. And so he, he's teaching here in John 14, saying he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. And this is what he says, verses 15 um, and 16. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And some would argue the most important command is to believe in him. Um, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. So not Jesus, because Jesus is going to leave. Another counselor or a helper um, to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't know him. It doesn't see him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be with you. So the word here for counselor, it can be advocate, can be translated as, 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 as um, helper, comforter, that this, this, this paraclete. God comes alongside us. His personal presence does this. And these words are ways of signaling, uh, signaling that we have someone who does more than empathetically care for us. Yes, he does that. But he's like this defense attorney that comes in and has a protective posture over us. And there's this, this old Latin word that gets associated with this, and that's the word fortis. That the, the spirit comes in and he fortifies us. In battle, we have uh, someone who will not spare us from the battle, but he doesn't leave us alone in it. He's like a bunker. He's like a shield. That is the God. That is the deposit that we have living inside of us. So that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, uh, the, the powerful, personal presence of God who orders our chaos. And so as we kind of begin to land the ship here, I want to ask you again, how are you? How are you really? How, how are you doing? If you want it to be well in your soul, the best shot that we have isn't just a hope for good circumstances. Even despite the, the, the tohu bohu, the, the chaos out there, uh, we need to have a comforter living inside of us, a helper who can have a residence inside of us. In John uh, 3, Jesus was speaking to a man named Nicodemus. And he tells him that in order to enter the kingdom, you need to be born again of water and spirit. And then what does Jesus do? He, he describes how the spirit is like a mighty wind that blows about purposely. And he blows towards some of us to encounter us, to meet us. 
And so if, if you're going to have the peace and the buoyancy that, that you can only have because of the spirit of God living inside of you, you, you need to be born again. You need the spirit of God. Because what he does is he comes in and he, he reorders not just a short-term thing, but he reorders our eternal trajectory. So, so get the spirit in the first place. But if you have the spirit, I want to just take us quickly to a passage in Ephesians where, where Paul tells a first century church, this is a church, people who have converted, he tells them to pay attention to how they're living, to do that carefully, to be wise, to make the most of the times because the days are evil. And this is what he says in Ephesians 5, uh, verse 18. I, I love this contrast because it's so helpful. He says, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit. So he gives this kind of instead. Remember, Jesus was full of the Spirit. He says that we can be filled up with the Spirit. And he says, instead of, of uh, escape, a reckless coping mechanism that really won't deal with whatever issue you're trying to mask, he says, try something else. And the tense here, uh, it doesn't just mean a, a one-time filling, right? These people already had the Holy Spirit come in and, and be a deposit inside of them. But, but what he says is not just a one-time be saved, but he says be being filled. Be being filled. Like, like you need to perpetually eat. That needs to be a regular thing so that you always have nourishment inside of you. He says with the Holy Spirit, be being filled again and again and again. It's, it's good to have a full stomach. It's good to be full of the Spirit. And so for those of you, again, who are familiar with his work, uh, you know that God is all about forming what is unformed. He's all about filling what is unfilled. He's about reordering the chaos to make something good. And so this morning, some of us, we, we sit here, and if we're honest, we know that our, our inner life is deformed. We know that we feel empty and we, we feel without purpose. Maybe the, the search history we have on our computer is evil. Maybe we are full of bitterness. Maybe we are looking for love in all the wrong places. If we are deformed, if we have chaos, the good news is we have someone that comes in. He engages. He fills what's empty. He fixes what's broken. And so I would encourage you to be filled and to be being filled by the Holy Spirit. I want to just read the next verse, which I do not have on the screen um, in, in Ephesians 5, because this gives us one practical action step, one way that we can assure we, we can be filled by the Holy Spirit. There's a number of ways that we could do this, but this is what it says. After saying, um, don't be drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, he says, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks to the Father. So this is one of those communal passages where there is something that we can do, uh, yes, individually, but maybe more powerfully together as we worship. The scripture tells us that, that God is actively scanning the earth. He's looking for a particular type of person, not someone who is a knower, who merely knows about God or someone who prays, but the, the text says that he is looking for worshipers, for people who will worship him in spirit and truth. And as we worship him in spirit and truth, it has a way of emptying us of us, emptying us of our chaos and filling us with him, with his peace. So our hope, despite the tohu bohu, the void, uh, the chaos, whatever you are dredging through right now, our hope isn't for better circumstances because things could improve externally and internally we could still be a mess. Our hope for peace, to fortify our souls, is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's my prayer for you this morning. So let me pray for us. 
Dear Father, I, I thank you so much uh, for uh, our dear friends at the Riotown venue. Right now, a, a lot of us carry in with us an ambient fear and anxiety that we can't lift. Disappointment, heaviness, weightiness. Uh, it is a burden that no human being can bear. Even in good times, we're fools to think that we can shoulder the weight of all those burdens. But I want to thank you for being God in three persons, for being the blessed Trinity, that you're good deposit, that you're counselor, that you're advocate, that your comforter can come inside of us. So Lord, lift our minds up to you. Fill us. Empty us of us. Fill us with you. Give us wisdom. Give us your power. Give us your personal presence. Let your wind blow towards us this morning. In your name. Amen.